Hello, I'm Kyle Johnson, and this is What Are You Reading?, a podcast devoted to books and the perspectives of their readers. Today's episode is a special one that, in many ways, centers around a book that's about the history of books, particularly collections of books. My guest, who's a seller of rare books, speaks about the changing roles and expectations of libraries, from the time of the Great Library of Alexandria, to the Enlightenment, to today. This is a great conversation with someone who, because of his profession, has an astute perspective about the book at hand. Please enjoy. My name's Tom Ayling. I'm an antiquarian bookseller, and I live in uh, South Oxfordshire in England. An antiquarian bookseller is someone who deals in old and rare books. The word antiquarian, in fact, describes the bookseller and not the books. Antiquarians were people who, particularly in the Victorian period, dealt in historical objects of all kinds and descriptions. So what I do for a living is I seek out, buy and sell old and rare books to customers, to both private individuals and libraries as well. Okay, great. So what are you currently reading, Tom? I'm currently reading a book called The Library of Fragile History, which is by Andrew Pettigree and Arthur de Verveden. I was actually taught at St. Andrews by one of the co-authors, Andrew Pettigree, who um, is a history lecturer there. It's a history of the library in, in, I guess, its broadest scope. And that covers both time and the notion of, of what a library is. Because as one finds out through reading it, at different points in, in history, it's been lots of different things to different people and to different places uh, and to different institutions. You know, when I think about defining the word library... I guess I think of a structure, you know, you go to the library, that means you go to a building that that holds books. I'm curious, you know, before you started this book, how did you define the word library? I think like you, one immediately thinks of certain things, you know, the word library conjures things in our in our head. And often the things that it conjures are things like buildings often architecturally very grand buildings, you know, with elaborate Baroque interiors and, you know, walls lined with bookcases that puts one in mind as much of the library at Hogwarts as it does with with (laughs) any library in the real world. But, But as an antiquarian bookseller and someone who has a pretty decent base background in the history of the library, I know that it's more complicated than that. For For one thing, nowadays and in the past, a library is also the collection of books that you have at home that is entirely private, as well as a building that one can go to to seek out books. So I knew that the word contains multitudes and, and reading the book has sort of built up the background of exactly how many multitudes that contains. Mm, that's really interesting. With the knowledge that you're learning from the book, how have you noticed the definition or the role or ideals of the library changing? Well, I have to say, partly because of of what I do, when I think of libraries, I'm looking into the past. 
I'm thinking about great collections that were built over long periods of time. And perhaps even further back than that, you know, to those tantalizing words, the Great Library of Alexandria. But what I don't spend much time thinking about, institutions that that I grew up with, like the public library, you know, it was a hugely important part of my childhood to go on a Saturday morning to the public library and choose what I was going to read for the next week. And discovering that the library in that sense has a very, very short history in the broader scope. The public library that we have today, at least for now, and we might not have them forever, only really starts to appear towards the end of the 19th century. Wedded to that is is making me think about the, the future of the library. Now, I do a lot of work in my job with what one would term institutional libraries, be they university libraries or national libraries like the British Library or the Bibliothèque Nationale de France. And those, one has a surer sense of, of where they're headed. You know, they seem like serious houses on serious earth. But then I think about the little public library in my village where one can go and browse a small selection of books and people who don't have access to the internet can go and use a computer. And, and I think about what's, what's the future for those sorts of institutions. And that's a tricky question because as one reads the books, you realize how many iterations a library goes through. It, it does make you think that, that some of the, what feel like eternal repositories we have today and, and not eternal at all necessarily. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the content that's in the book. I have to say, you know, in the table of contents, some of these chapter titles I find really evocative. (laughs) Mm, Yes. For example, part one is entitled Inception and Survival. Yes. Part two is The Crisis of Print. There's a chapter called Idle Books and Riff Raff. Yes. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the style that the book is going for and also just its organization? Certainly. The style is really interesting to me because I'm really enjoying reading the narrative. And this book is sort of doing two things for me. It's enriching my personal understanding of something I do for a profession, but it's also hugely entertaining. It's a scholarly work written by two scholars that is very much accessible to the lay reader. So for people like me who want a exhaustive bibliography and referencing and list of footnotes at the end. It's got that. But the way the book is written is in a really wonderful narrative style, one that wears its knowledge very lightly and is playful and fun to read. So taking a few of these things in turn, we basically have in in the order of the book, a chronological history of the library. Mm. So You mentioned part one, Inception and Survival. Here we're talking about the library before books. And by that, I mean the library before the codex. So when knowledge was held in papyrus scrolls in institutions like the Great Library of Alexandria. Now, papyrus scrolls are hugely different objects to books. For one thing, the the entire text is contained within a scroll. So to find where you want, you can't go to page 33 or 300, you've got to literally go through the scroll and and find it. The other thing that I learned from this book, in fact, is that papyrus is far more degrading as a substance than paper. And that mm. 
that papyrus scrolls have to be rewritten every 100 or 200 years to remain usable. And there's a really good section at the start of the book on this great fascination with the Great Library of Alexandria, which is considered to be the single repository of knowledge for the entire ancient world. And none of it survives. And this is considered to be a great loss of knowledge to to our civilization, because the ambition of a library like that to collect all the knowledge, if it were to survive, would be fundamental to our understanding of the ancient world and enrich it greatly. But we don't have it. And why we don't have it is an interesting thing, because libraries can be lost to destruction, but they can also be lost to, to neglect when we talk about things like papyrus scrolls being susceptible to degrading and needing to be rewritten every hundred or so years. So we don't know exactly what happened to the library. Some people think it was lost in a fire or in a war, but the conclusion that they come to is that more likely we don't have it because of something a bit more nuanced than that, and that's neglect. These things can just be lost and and disappear out into the world, and that might not be as exciting a story as it being ransacked as Alexandria is raided or or it being lost in a great fire. But it is a sort of more likely conclusion to draw. I'm curious also how the contemporary library is addressed in this book. You mentioned the chapter called Idle Books and Riffraff. Mm -hmm. Um, That refers to an imposition put on by Sir Thomas Bodley, who was the founder of the Bodleian Library in Oxford. And it remains to this day one of the greatest libraries in the world and is the sort of beating heart of Oxford University. But one of the impositions that he put on the library was that it should contain no idle books and riffraff. And by that he meant it shouldn't contain light fiction or things like plays, which were not considered to be particularly reputable. And as a result, there was no Shakespeare in the Bodleian Library in Sir Thomas Bodley's lifetime because he wasn't Mm. having such disreputable tat, grace, or should I say shame, the bookshelves there, which means that when the Shakespeare First Folio is published in 1624, they don't acquire a copy. And they had to buy one many, many years later at huge expense because that has become one of the most sought after and collectible books in the world. The process of curation is something that all libraries have to reckon with. No one can have every book that is offered to them or every book that has ever been printed. One is always making decisions about which books to accept and which books not to accept and which books to buy and which ones not to buy. It's all part of that process of building a collection that can be useful in an institutional sense to its readers and to the scholars and students that that use the library. So there was certainly an an element of gatekeeping in Thomas Bodley's comments, but it's also a very real situation that libraries have, have always had to reckon with, that you can't have everything. So then how do you make the decisions about what you do have? I think it's safe to say you run a library in a sense, the Antiquarian Bookshop. (laughs) Maybe I'll pose that question to you. How do you choose what comes into the shop? Uh, I'm sure you're focused on what could sell to some extent. Well, yeah, I think think it's fair to consider what a bookseller chooses to buy for stock and to offer to their customers. 
that then goes on to enable further collecting because it is a sorting out process. I look at roughly 10,000 books for every one book that I buy. So Mm. I'm sorting through a huge number of books to find what we want. And what we want is books that we know about and we specialize in because this is quite a sophisticated market that requires a, a huge amount of expertise to be able to deal in these books successfully and to reliably offer them to your customers. So what what we're looking for in our business is we're looking to buy first editions of chiefly important works of literature that have something about them. One of the interesting things about books is that they exist in multiple copies. They're printed. And therefore, one not only has to choose which book to buy, but which copy of that book to buy. I'm always drawn to the to the most interesting copy available. So it's not enough to just have a first edition of an important book. One might want it to be in a particularly beautiful and interesting binding or to mm. be in wonderful condition or to say, have an authorial inscription of some note. Maybe the author has given it to someone hugely influential in the development of that book or it's been annotated by a reader who bought the book 400 years ago. And you can see how someone in the 17th century interacted with this book hundreds of years before it came into your hand. So all of those things are, are at play when we're, when we're talking about not just selecting a book, but a copy of a book. Hmm. The question that I usually end with that I pose to people is, who is this book for? The Library of Fragile History, would you recommend it to anybody? Or is there a particular, I don't know, ideal reader that you could envision for this book? I think if you're anyone who's interested in books, I think has an associated interest in the object of a book, holding a book and turning the pages and if, if, if you can access that, or if that is the sort of idea that brings you a sense of comfort and warmth, then getting a sense for how we got here with books as objects through the history of book collecting and the history of the library, I think will be of great interest. It's not a book that is aimed at scholars. You could come to this with very little idea of the history of the library and read an incredibly entertaining narrative with well-picked anecdotes to illustrate each observation is an incredibly gratifying way to spend one's time. Today's guest was Tom Ayling, who's reading The Library, A Fragile History by Andrew Pedigree and Arthur Der Vedovin. If today's title interests you, please consider purchasing a copy from the bookshop.org link in the show notes. Buying from here supports local bookshops and this podcast. The music heard on What Are You Reading? is from the album Wallflower by percussionist Julian Loida. If you liked what you heard today, please consider following and leaving the show a good rating and review, as this helps us reach interested listeners. If you have extra feedback or an idea for a title or genre you'd like represented, you can contact me using the email address in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, happy reading!